With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. in you know it's time to begin and wherever you are whenever you are and however you happen to be listening we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to dlc especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run or maybe a hike this week we had a hiker who was like hey man i want to shout out you got it if you're hiking right now, we're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsor this week, Squarespace. Squarespace. Squarespace brings the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and there are many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who's having fun in the sun, summertime, 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 Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everyone. Witty retort. Nice. You didn't come I didn't in really with have anything. Much. My, yeah, I didn't have anything. My, th- my, my setup was a little weak, too. It's, uh, it's summer. I'm blasted by the sun. I've been out in the pool all day. And uh, now, now we're doing a, a fun show about video games. So I didn't have much other than it's summer and uh, it's hot. It's over. It's triple digits in my house. What is it like at your house? It was hot. We also did a pool day. Um, <laughs> it was pretty great. So look forward to falling asleep. Forty-five minutes in. Let's Sweet. get this show moving. <laughs> I'm just uh, kidding. Which would differentiate from the, the usual. How? <laughs> All right. Uh, we do have awesome stuff to talk about. We got we got video game news. Some really exciting stuff that's been rumored for a long time that we know for sure. We got some games to talk about. That's for sure. And we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because once again, DLC stands for. Drafts, log lines, and columns because we have the writer and critic from Kotaku who's been with us before. Heather Alexandra is back with us. Hey, Heather. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. We're so excited to have you back. Yeah, it's always good to be here. It's always good to chat about the wonderful wide, wide world of video games. Indeed. And uh, I have to say, I have to give credit because I got a tweet this week from Don Eithnen. I'm Sure, I'm mispronouncing that, but uh, not when you said, say it so convincingly like that. I bet you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> we said uh, you ha- we have to have you on this week to talk about the new expansion for Final Fantasy 14. So uh, you were so gracious to agree, and I'm excited when we get to uh, 
to the games that we've been playing in our playlist. And we talk about that um, because I know that you are putting a lot of time into Final Fantasy 14 right now, right? Yeah, way, way too much. Well, actually, um, just enough, just in case uh, Stephen, my boss, hears me, Stephen Totello, just enough time into it. Just enough time into it. <laughs> right, the perfect amount to make for great columns. But yeah, one, wonderfully nice and balanced amount of time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, well, let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit, that's 5x5dlc.reddit.com, or by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love getting your emails about any topic, but also submitting stories. You can do that there. Heather, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? I'm just I'm going to talk about the thing that I think is the most interesting and the one that caught me off guard the most which is Cuphead getting an animated series for Netflix. Yeah, it sounds like uh we have hit the next wave of video game inspired shows. Uh yeah. it's like it's, it's, there's a gold rush going on right now. And I I don't know if I would have expected Cuphead to be part of that, but I'm kind of intrigued. Uh, as you mentioned, we heard this week that Netflix is making a Cuphead show. In fact, I think it's going to be called the Cuphead show. What's and it about? Cuphead. Oh, got it. <laughs> <laughs> Cuphead and Mugman, of course. Uh, it says the character-driven comedy will follow the misadventures of Cuphead and his, quote, cautious but easily swayed brother, Mugman, across their home, the Inkwell Isles. So Heather, are you excited about this? A little bit. So the reason, so I don't know if this is the story of the week in terms of the thing that most people are the most psyched for, but I think that Cuphead has been this really interesting game, both in terms of kind of what it was as a game and what it allowed us to discuss in those normal spheres of like, hey, difficulty or whatever. And for the record, I don't think that game's actually all that horrible if you just kind of meet it on its own terms and i really liked playing that game that was a review process where i think i played that about a day and a half that one like nearly wow. killed me wow. um hashtag humble brag go ahead yeah yeah no, no, no. <laughs> i don't mean it. i don't mean it like that at all uh that that's my that's my roundabout way of saying like well, no if you're a company with codes maybe don't send them like the night before um, <laughs> no so the thing about cuphead that makes me interesting is that our understanding of cuphead is so intrinsically tied to the art style and i don't want to dive too deep into this right but i remember when cuphead came out we had this wonderful piece of criticism by a fellow named yusuf cole over at unwinnable which is this kind of um more self-contained uh critical magazine that does stuff online and specifically the the article was called cuphead and the racist specter of fleischer animation and so that kicked off this whole conversation about what it meant to kind of go back and take these old art styles and whether or not, you know, you can have those old art styles, those really rich, wonderful art styles, because Cuphead's a gorgeous game when you really kind of look at it just on that raw artistic merit, right? Yeah. It's just so fantastic. And so what I'm really interested in looking forward, uh, you know, as, as this show progresses is A, how do they capture that style and B, what do they do with it, right? Because one of the things that Yusuf talked about in his piece, which I thought was important and is probably one of the most important 
pieces of writing that's been done on a game within the last, you know, three years or so is that, you know, it's hard to detach art from like the context that it was made, you know, so you know, the Fleischer brothers, you know, Max Fleischer, Dave Fleischer and Disney, there, there were all these complicated things about cartoons back in the day. And so what interests me the most about seeing what will happen on Netflix is how, you know, how much they want to stick to that old art style, how much they, you know, want to make things more modern. And, and I say that, you know, I, I say that with a lot of genuine interest, because one of the things that impressed me so much recently for Netflix was Castlevania. Like Castlevania was fantastic. And so to see, you know, if you put if you put something like Cuphead in the hands of writers who really want to experiment with it, who shy away, you know, who don't ignore or or you know, uh completely, you know, wash their hands of its more complicated like artistic lineage but want to make something of their own and and really make something funny and interesting. I think it could be I think it could be something worth watching. You bring up such a fascinating point that I didn't even consider with that because, yeah, I mean, obviously Cuphead is that 30s and 40s animation style, which anytime you dig even a little bit into that oeuvre, you're going to find problematic stuff uh, viewed from today's standards. And it's interesting that, you know, you have this thing that is evocative of that time period, but how, as you said, how are they going to handle it? The only clue that we might get, at least from this press release is uh evidently the netflix has said the series will be quote safe for kids but written so there are also things that adults find funny and appeals to a wider audience that's so many that you know that makes me laugh though because i remember watching you know and this will kind of date me a little bit now right or you know nickelodeon cartoons like ren and stimpy or rocco's Mm -hmm. modern life and how that had their own sort of um you know, I could watch that as a kid, but then my mom could watch that too and have all these adult jokes hit there. So what I want and what excites me about this, you know, if, it, if you know, it's handled well and doesn't, um, you know, completely just copy the 1930s stuff, you know, uncritically, is that like, maybe it could just be like a really funny thing. Maybe it could be one of those shows, like they're kind of saying in their promotions where I can watch it. And I don't know if I'm babysitting a nephew or something like he can watch it and he can laugh or whatever, too. It's like, I like the prospect of of that. And I like the idea. What I really like the idea of is uh, I, I like seeing, you know, the the iconography of games and other things branching out and becoming these things that other people can enjoy because games sometimes feel like this island unto themselves and when we try and make things that will draw other people in they're kind of crappy it's like oh we'll do assassin's creed and then like a bad assassin's creed movie comes out even though like ac odyssey is amazing but you know right. netflix pulled it off with castlevania they could do something interesting here i like the idea of being able to expand these really cool icons, these really cool characters and kind of draw people in. Yeah. And I'm very hopeful for the Witcher series. Right. Yeah. uh, There's a lot, there's a lot of this stuff on the horizon. And uh, the thing I've been saying over and over is, you know, there was a long time when comic books were the ones where like, Oh, they're making another comic book movie. They're going to screw it up. But (laughs) at a certain point they got it right. And I think that it's bound to happen with video games as well. And, And I'm hoping this, new wave is the one that'll be like, wow, yeah, cool. A new, a new video game TV show. Uh, Christian, I know you have some interesting, uh, an interesting take on this as well. We were talking a little bit about 
Cuphead. Um, how do you feel about the show? Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, you know, I, I am looking forward to it. I think the interesting thing specifically to Cuphead is that it is a game that when talked about, as Heather mentioned, um, even without the history, taking into account the history or the implications of the animation style. But when you mentioned Cuphead, anyone that knows anything about it, um, it is that animation, right? It's that 30s style animation. And so I'm curious if Netflix or the creators behind this show feel like they're trapped in a box a little bit in terms of what they're allowed to do in terms of their take on it. Whereas Castlevania, uh, I really like that Netflix show. I think it's fun. And it's kind of this, if you haven't seen it, they're both seasons. I think there's only two. They're fairly short. And it's, you know, anime inspired, like a Western take on anime, which you've seen in some artwork associated with Castlevania. But aside from like maybe the DS games, like it has the graphics themselves within the game aren't as anime as other games are. I'm not saying it's like Western bruisers, you know, walking around on screen. It's clearly a Konami game from Japan and has those influences, but they did something very interesting with the art style for that cartoon on Netflix, where it's kind of their own approach to these characters. And I'm curious to see, you know, Cuphead, I guess it's cool if it looks like the game, but it's also like, it's a cartoon that looks like an old cartoon that's we've had those. What was cool about the game is that it was a game that looked like an old cartoon. So it's kind of this weird, like, you know, damned if you do damned, if you don't situation a little bit where I'm curious to see their approach on it. But to me, the biggest thing is that um, I think we're really seeing this expansion into safe, right? Whether it's the lion King being remade beat for beat with more realistic animation or it's Cuphead or The Witcher or these things on Netflix where investing in a property that has data that says that people know it, like the merch for Cuphead. You go to Target right now, I bet somewhere in the United States, maybe not every single Target, but I bet there's a good chance if you go to a Target in a major city, you can find some Cuphead merch still, still. And it's just one of those games that kind of exploded that way. And so I think it's cool because I like seeing games um, – you know, becoming broader and more mainstream and stuff like that. But I do think it's kind of an extension of um, scared to take risk. Instead of doing something wholly new, it's let's adapt this property for this thing because it has name recognition. Now you're probably not going to cancel your Netflix subscription. Also, look at these other, here's Adam Sandler. You know him. Are you going to watch the movie? No, but you know him. Keep your subscription. Like it, it feels like it's more of that to me, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I kind of can't shake the feeling a little bit, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think there's a bunch of people at a bunch of companies making bets. And the the surest bet is to bet on something that already has an established audience, even if that audience is relatively small. It's better than zero. But, you know, you talk about Cuphead, I think really all, all anyone knows about it. I mean, I guess there is a story to Cuphead. I didn't know it. I, I haven't really played the game, so I didn't really know the story what you know of it is that aesthetic is that art style. And I think that's what you get when you pay for that IP is something that, that Heather was bringing up, which I think is really fascinating doing a retro cartoon in today's environment. And I think that has the potential of being really something interesting and maybe it's just light and fluffy and silly and they don't even address that stuff or, I mean, not, not that they'd have to address it, but that it, it doesn't even, ha maybe they'll attempt to just 
make a modern cartoon with an old art style. But I think something more interesting is possible where they really make this sort of retro kind of thing with today's sensibilities. And I think that could be really cool and something that would make this feel special. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I was going to say, I think about how widely divergent, you know, when I was growing up, the various different Sonic the Hedgehog cartoons were, (laughs) where where one was just bonkers and off the wall and really abstract. And then, you know, Sonic Saturday, you know, AM was very serious and kind of had all these things uh, going on, you know, longer story arcs and things like that. And I think one thing that can happen here is there's a pretty big blank canvas here where, you know, you know, Jeff, you mentioned the story of Cuphead, the game, which is, you know, all about this gambling thing, which is tied up again to some of those problematic aspects of, you know, old cartoons, you know, making certain people into degenerate gamblers or whatever else. But if you have two interesting characters and you you have careful writers i mean i mean they did it with sonic you, you can have something that's super you can have something that's super serious and can teach kids about the environment or you can have something that's balls to the wall wild and you know bugs bunny-esque i think I, I think there's a lot of wiggle room and a lot of malleability so if anything else you know, I don't want to say, oh, I'm super excited. I love Cuphead. I don't know if I love Cuphead, but what I am uh, certainly is incredibly curious. Hmm. Well said. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Well, it's a story I've been predicting. So, <laughs> Spicedradamus is back with the easiest prediction of all time that I've been making year upon year. So, yeah, finally, you predicted it many times. <laughs> uh, let's just let's go slow the roll on the backslap. You know, what I'm no, saying? no, 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 no. I'm going to enjoy this backslap. This backslap's two years in the making, good sir. <laughs> oh, that's a way to frame it. I see. Okay, <laughs> the Nintendo Switch Lite. Uh, which is just, it's a, it's a light switch, right? Like that's so funny. It's a light switch. It's so funny. Uh, it has been officially revealed. It goes on sale September 20th for $200, three colors, yellow, gray, turquoise. They're doing a special Pokemon themed edition in November. The big things, the big takeaways, it is smaller, the screen itself, and also the console. The Joy-Cons are no longer detachable. It is one unit. Think of like a Vita, if you're trying to picture it. HD Rumble, get out of here. There's a D-pad on the left side. Since the Joy-Cons can't come off, they don't need to have that. Well, they never needed to have it, if you ask me. But (laughs) they ditched that awkward button layout thingy on the left side instead of having a D-pad. And, 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 no TV uh, connecting possible. So I guess it'd be... Yeah, no, no HDMI port, nothing. It has doesn't, an HD- doesn't yeah. switch. It doesn't switch. It has a USB C plug still in the same place, but it does not. Uh, you cannot put that and hook it up to your TV as is. Um, you can still connect Joy Cons to it should you want to for multiplayer. It does not have a kickstand though, and it's a smaller screen. It does not feel like the type of switch that you would put out and have people crowded around. From the um, company that brought you the 3DS with no 3D. That's called a the 2D. Switch, yeah. The Switch that don't switch. Uh, yeah. It don't switch. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. I have strong feelings, but Heather, I'm curious what your take is on the, the Switchless Switch. I don't know what to think about where companies want to take 
ostensibly their handheld sort of oeuvre anymore. And I have no clue what to think about that uh, with Nintendo, especially because, you know, you mentioned the idea of the 2DS and now we have this and, you know, the 3DS itself is like that thing's basically dead. And so in theory, this is the thing that Nintendo pushes out and wants people to play in the same way that they would want people playing the new 3DS or the 2DS. And right now, you know, without knowing a little bit more about it, even though we have plenty of, of, of specs and things like that, um, there's a part of me that's skeptical, if only because I, it's like it's really cool to have my Switch now and to be able to sit on an airplane and be like, wow, I am stuck here and I'm going to play Dragon's Dogma and therefore being stuck here is not as bad. Um, but even on my normal switch, you know, you know, I have to make sure that I'm plugged into an outlet or something, or I don't have that much time left, but with a switch light or whatever, you know, if I want to sit down and I want to play breath of the wild on the go or something, how much battery life do I really have? And how evidently, evidently it's no better than the actual switch. It's a little better. It's a little better. Okay. Yeah. So, so for me, I, I, I hadn't necessarily read up on some of those, uh, specifics but for me it's it's just the situation of i don't know i i maybe i'm old school i'm it i travel every day on subway and i play plenty of mobile games on my phone but there's no part of me that was like i really need a switch with more inherent portability than it already has because the switch itself already has an absurdly high amount of inherent portability well i think that this isn't made for you or me or no it's definitely not i mean it's not made made... for you or heather let's be honest (laughs) well you're gonna buy it but it doesn't mean it's made for you (laughs) (laughs) okay got it good 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 good. Uh, (laughs) i think it's made for the people for whom price point is very important Mm -hmm. and a robust form factor is very important it's i mean it's a cliche to say you know parents but i think it's parents it's parents who want to give their kids something that isn't, they're not going to have to replace the Joy-Con because the kid popped off and they lost it somewhere. And oh man, I got to buy a new Joy-Con because those things come off all the time. And it's less expensive and it can be, you know, tossed around and you're not going to have to worry about it so much. And I think Nintendo has shown in the past, their handhelds have had these revisions where you get something that may be less functional, but just sturdier. And it's, useful because they can put it at a lower price point and open it up to people that didn't already have it. And I think it's easy for us in our prism of, you know, being people who are passionate about this hobby, looking at it and being like, well, I already have a switch. I don't know why they would introduce this, but I think it's for people that don't already have a switch. It's for that next billion, you know, as as they say, uh, it's the next however many millions of people that want that that wouldn't buy it now because it's just a little too expensive and it just seems like a thing that could break and there's no reason to to plug it into the TV because we're not going to let you know the kids plug it into the TV we just want them to have something while they're in the back seat of the car or whatever and, and this is that now it's this is replacing the DS now the thing that will be for us is when they eventually are you know, announce whatever upscale enhanced model of the switch is the thing. Well, that's that what's so crazy that. is that the rumor is they're, they're doing this and a pro version yep. and they just didn't announce them at the same time. But what a, what an insane thing of like, Hey, 
we'll do one that has less features, but also one that has can do more. Well, I, have it, you it, followed those rumors? Because there's been data mining and stuff, 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 stuff. So it looks like right now it looks as if there might still be a bigger, different one. But right now it looks like some internal components are going to be switched based on like FCC filings, I think, or this, that, and the other. Well, but that will be th- just the standard model we'll have, but it will be uh, evidently um, just for price just for um right. cost so i, I w- it's nothing you would actually notice as an end user correct i wonder if that though led to the rumors of the pro i could be wrong but um, what i was reading is that there's still scuttlebutt about the a a actual pro version that is like the new ds or the new 3ds was you know that uh yeah. has a little bit better processor or whatever new the tegra 2 or whatever it would be Anyway, I think, you know, you can't put anything past Nintendo at this point. My my favorite thing that I saw this week, though, after the announcement was um, that famous logo that they've been using, a little animation that they do of the, the thing dropping down and going and, and the Joy-Con snapping into place for the Switch. You know, it's like that the little snap that happens when it pops into place. Somebody redid that without the Joy-Con popping into place and it just landing with a thud. It just goes, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was so clever. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for it. One, because I have, they don't listen to this show so I can tell them. Uh, I have two younger kids and they like playing they Mario. They don't listen to the show? I mean, I make them download it and start it just to get like the bump okay. and, you know, cause that puts us over into the 2 million mark every week when they listen. But, um, yeah, uh, it's going to be their Christmas present, and they play. They love Mario Kart. They love Splatoon. They don't need it on the TV. It's smaller. It will fit better in their hands. Um, it, it'll be parents. Yeah, you're, they're you're proving my point. No, no, no. Yes, I'm not disagreeing with you. But also, 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 if I were to be buying a Switch right now, I would seriously consider only buying. Like if I didn't have one as an adult, I would seriously consider it. It's a hundred dollars cheaper, barring sales or whatever. And I would seriously need to consider how often am I going to plug this into my TV? If you're a streamer or something like that, then yes, it makes sense. You need to be able to, you know, have video out in some form or fashion. But otherwise, I I play most of my Switch in handheld mode, even if I'm at home yeah. sitting on my couch in yeah. front of my TV. That's why I'm, I pick up my Switch is because I don't, I didn't. If I wanted to turn the TV on, I'd probably be playing a different console. Yeah, unless it's an exclusive. So I think the price is compelling. I think the D-pad is very compelling. Um, a friend mentioned to, this to us that I had not thought of, and I think it's a great point, so I'm going to mention it here. Her concern was that, like the 2DS, um, Nintendo stopped putting 3D in their games in a major way because now they released a console that didn't support it, so there wasn't as much investment in it. And her concern was that with this Switch Lite, um, Nintendo or other developers wouldn't put as much time in having graphics that look good in 1080p. Like, why put in that extra work for them to be able to look sharper on a big TV if, you know, whatever percentage of the user base technically can't even do that? And if that ends up being the case, that will bum me out a little bit. But otherwise, I'm, I'm very high out. on this device. It'll bum you out even though you don't use it in that for that function? I plug mine into the TV. I thought From you were yeah, I mean, you, it would bum me out if games. Out it it bum me out if games quit. You know, being as good as they could be, right? For yeah. for a number of people. But all of that being said, the OG Switch is still you know being sold. So like, if if you want those things, 
it's like you can still go to the store and buy the one that has all those features, right? It's not as if they're discontinuing the original one. So I kind of don't understand the backlash. I see this as more people will have switches now. That's good, <laughs> right? I think that's for sure. Yeah, I think more people will. Um, the biggest question I have for you, Heather, is what do you think about them colors? Oh, I don't know. I got distracted once Christian mentioned the D-pad again, because that's <laughs> great. <laughs> I've forgotten great. all about that. Like, oh, Yellow, first- gray, and turquoise are the launch colors. Yeah, you got to have the fun ones. You got to have turquoise or something. Don't do yellow. Yellow is an ugly color. Don't do gray. Gray is boring. Grab yourself a turquoise and be bold. Yeah. Or wait until that Pokemon edition. Yeah. We'll have all kinds of crazy and That'll be really good. Or wait a year for the NES edition. You know what? You like Nintendo's good at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is the thing they are good at. Yeah, the Nest edition will be rad or whatever it is. You know, it's the, the cool. Yeah, talent. my new my new 3ds looks like some sort of Lisa Frank trapper keeper, and I love <laughs> it. So they they have all sorts of great ideas. Uh, definitely waiting in the wings. Well, we shall see. As you said, Christian, when you introduced the story, November eighth. Oh no, sorry, that's when uh, Pokemon that's when the Pokemon edition. September twentieth is when Switch Lite. Day and day with Link's Awakening. Not a coincidence. Not a coincidence. Although I'm surprised they're not doing a Link's Awakening version. But maybe that will be forthcoming announced. Um, All right. My story. Because you left me a lot of juicy ones. I'm going to have to go with the predictable one for me, which is uh, still a rumor at this point. But it seems well reported and one that I'm excited about. Evidently, there was a report that says that Facebook has signed a VR exclusivity deal with Ubisoft to develop VR games based on the Assassin's Creed and Splinter Cell franchises for Oculus. And as a VR nut, I am very interested in this, especially as uh, a huge Assassin's Creed fan now. I am a Johnny-come-lately to that franchise because I never liked it until origins and odyssey but now it's like my favorite franchise so uh i'm very hopeful for a an assassin's creed experience that is cool it's basically a game about vr you know (laughs) people that put on a get in a vr thing and go into a special weird place where there's somebody else so i think that works (laughs) uh splinter cell i'm not as excited for just because there's a lot of stealth games in vr and i i I get too nervous i don't know i get too nervous in stealthy games in vr but uh budget i want great but i want splinter cell in the vein of like a diorama oh that would be great you're right looking into little uh Mm -hmm. sam fisher's world and making sure he you know you look around a corner to see if there's an enemy waiting for you and stuff that would be that and like something not how they're gonna do it though you know that but I want that and like, you know, John Wick Hex, you know, like a game kind of like that, but it's uh, Sam Fisher or like the uh, counter, not Counter-Strike Go, I'm an idiot. Uh, Hitman. Uh, Hitman Go, talk. yes. That, yeah. yeah, those. Yeah. That would be rad. I, there's no way that they're making that. They're, they're, you're ha- you have an, a character who puts on goggles as like, the, that's his like signature move is putting on goggles and making it all green. There's no way they're not going to have you being in the goggles, pushing a button and making it all green. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's it's just what they're going to Maybe do. you play on a flat screen and then when you go need vi- night vision, you put your VR on. <laughs> I, think that'd be, I think it'd be fun if, the, if Assassin's Creed was like that. It's like you're, you're playing a 2D screen when you're in modern day you know, <laughs> Assassin's Creed and then you get into the animus and you put, have to put on the VR goggles. That'd be rad. Um, Heather, are you, I don't know if you're, what your stance is on VR. I'm a, I'm a big 
I'm uh, I'm fairly VR agnostic. I still have some motion sickness stuff that happens with me with VR, which is funny. The first VR game I ever played was for PSVR, and it was Resident Evil Seven. So I got, oh, I, got I got a great <laughs> by fire. I got a great introduction to VR. Um, when I hear this news, definitely I, I think I'm with you in in the sense that I'm far more interested in what you could do with Assassin's Creed than what you could do with Splinter Cell. Just this idea of oh, cool, you parkoured up a building and now you have this amazing vista that you look you know, in on. Oh, you're actually, you know, you have to hide in a crowd from people and you feel like you are in a crowd from someone. Oh, you're playing as, you know, for some reason, off the top of my head, Connor from AC3. And oh my gosh, you're talking to George Washington and he's right there. Like, there's a lot of interesting potential there. Uh, I mean, my, my, my concern with VR is always just barrier to entry, but I mean, like if we're looking for things that could really compel people to, you know, explore that way of enjoying a game and at least, uh, in the context of doing it within a familiar franchise, I think there's a lot of potential there, especially for Assassin's Creed to do all sorts of interesting things. Yes. I can't wait to find out. I'm hoping, as I said, this is still technically a rumor, but. It looks like it's got some substantial reporting. Yeah. I'm hoping this is solid. And, and if boring. they don't come to Quest, I don't care, you know? <laughs> well, man, it. I, I'm going to talk about that more in the VR segment of the show uh, because I think that it probably will come to Quest because Facebook is really pivoting or Oculus is really pivoting to that headset and forcing all their uh, first-party stuff to, to have a version. But, man... I'll talk about it more, but I played Vader Immortal on my regular Rift with my PC this week, and woof. You don't know what you're missing, Christian. I don't want to know. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But also, I want to say another thing that I was reading up. You know, the Valve Index is out in the wild these days. I don't have mine yet because I was slow to pre-order and i'm so sad but i was running through a dungeon instead of running to pre-order it's true i was but i uh i have been (laughs) stalking the subreddit for valve index reading about people's impressions of it because i've been so excited and i was reading heather that somebody in there and this is obviously anecdotal one person's review but it was a very impassioned review of somebody who said uh they had real uh, nausea issues with a lot of the headsets and that the index has none of that. He was like, it's, it's a revelation. I don't know what they did with the lenses, but it's completely different. I can play for hours and not get any of it. So I, I say that in, it, just to say, I feel like technologically we're kind of beating that problem. I hope. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never had that much problem with PSVR unless it's those weird alternate control schemes when they're like, Hey, use a controller too, or whatever. Right. Um, that that's always a little daunting. My big thing will be once I finally move out of the small broom closet in Brooklyn that I live in, then, <laughs> then I will finally embrace VR. And right. I, I, I want to, uh, you know, I never really got to enjoy, um, you know, what was it? Ask the robot one, Astro, Astrobot rescue oh, mission. Oh, man. You know, everybody Amazing. told me about that. I think even the last time I was on the show, y'all were singing praises about it. And I've always really wanted to sit down and enjoy it. And I have friends who are just so into Beat Saber and all the ones that you mentioned when you mentioned VR these days. And it's like, yeah. I'll get, I'll get there. And if, and if this is the way to get there, then yeah, that'd be fantastic. Cool. 
Uh, well, I wish that for you because Astrobot is amazing. <laughs> uh, um, um, so one more story before we move out of the news segment. I just would love to get uh, your feedback on the TurboGrafx-16 Mini because we got an official release date and details of what the TurboGrafx-16 Mini is going to entail because you can't have a console that was released in the 80s or 90s without having a mini version these days. And why not? Uh, retro gaming is fun and cool, and these mini consoles are adorable. TurboGrafx-16, never the most attractive of consoles, in my opinion, but uh, nonetheless, it will have a miniature adorable version. And there are a bunch of games coming out for it. It will be released on March 19th for about 97 bucks, uh, so about 100 bucks uh, here in the States. And there is an Amazon Prime exclusive pre-order offer, which comes out today. If you're listening to this uh, as we release on Mondays, uh, today, July 15th is, uh, I guess, Amazon Prime Day. So this was thing that, the thing that was called the PC Engine in Europe and TurboGrafx-16 here. Heather, I'm not going to presume that you are old enough to remember this, but I certainly am. Do you have any nostalgia for TurboGrafx-16? My nostalgia is reserved mostly for the Intellivision and then for the NES. I mean, I know the TurboGrafx, but it, you know, my thought here, my my jokey thing here is like, why don't you just give me like a Hudson Soft's Greatest Hits thing and I can just play <laughs> Bonk's Revenge and all that stuff because presumably that's most of what they're going to have on this collection unless yeah. I'm wrong. No, you're right. Bonk's Revenge, uh, I think, is the the headliner. That's the game that everybody remembers. Bonk yeah. was the TurboGrafx-16 mascot back when mascots were a thing. Uh, also, Space Harrier, which is great, but you can play Space Harrier and a whole lot of other things. Um, uh, Psychosis, which is a game I remember. Oh. Uh, Wise Book One and Two will be on it. A uh, bunch of other stuff: Dungeon Explorer, Lords of Thunder, um, probably of one of the Bombermans. Yes, Bomberman '93. Yeah, yeah. Yes, very good. Kadash will be there. Chu Man Fu, uh, New Adventure Island, which is a game I remember. Ninja Spirit. Uh, so there's some uh, Alien Crush. <laughs> I remember that game. Um, but I don't think these are. I mean, these are these are deep cuts. You know, these are other than Bonks. I guess would be the the biggest one, but these are pretty, pretty deep cuts. Uh, Christian, I know you are a resident retro enthusiast. What do you, what do you think of this? Uh, it's never my console of choice. I'm very excited for people that get very excited about this, but the, none of these speak to me in any way, shape or form. It was just always a, a blank spot for me. I had a friend that had turbo graphics and I never particularly loved them. And I've tried you know, I think Bonk 2 is the best Bonk. And I've tried, uh, I think it was Lords of Thunder is the other that people kind of praise. R-Type's fantastic, but I don't need this for it. Um, yeah, it's just never, never been my console of choice. So I've, not much to say, unfortunately. It's got that weird controller too, where it's like a Nest controller with like a bunch of negative space or something, right? Yes, like that, it that's does. The one. It just kind of yes. is there and you're like, okay, like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And the console itself is so ugly. It really is. And that logo is so early nineties with like the neons that clash purposefully. It's yeah, it's, there's a reason it didn't do great. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I mean, the thing that I should always stress is like, I'm always in favor of this sort of stuff in the sense that I'm always in favor of anything that helps preserve old games. Like I am, I am super, ride or die for game preservation in any game you know any form however it takes you know by any means necessary that is me um having it having 
all of these things more and more centralized to like their own individual like novelty consoles is a little bit disappointing to me in the sense that I would, you know, what I would want to see is I want to see more companies take efforts to have these things available on storefronts, uh, you know, however, you know, they're able to when rights allow. I think if they're really somehow done with stuff, I don't care. The internet archive is there. Do whatever you want to do with it. People like go for it. So, so this idea that, you know, it's very cool to have these things, but at the end of the day, they always feel a little bit more, um, you know, like novelty toy distractions. And I mean that almost in the most pejorative way, right. Where I would rather, <laughs> I would rather have something and, you know, you know, I, I'm saying this knowing the possibility of, a, of accomplishing it is you can't get it done. I, you know, right. I want something more comprehensive. I want ways that uh, I want a service or something. I don't know. I want Sega to put skies of Arcadia on steam. Gosh, darn it. Like what the heck is going on? I don't, I don't want to, I might have a, I have a dreamcast on my shelf right now and all sorts of stuff. I don't want to buy a dreamcast mini in four years. Like, eh. Yeah, I you will. I mean, you there will be one oh, available. I'll, I'll buy the heck out of it, but I'm also <laughs> gonna I'm also gonna be incredibly disappointed with myself. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I would. I mean, I think you're absolutely right with in the the toy novelty uh, comment because I I would guess as many of the Super and Nintendo minis as they sold for people that want to play those games, an equal number were sold of people who just wanted a tiny little SNES on their shelf. And it probably just sits there being a tiny little SNES on their shelf. Shut your face, Jeff. You have I been over to true. my house too many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. More power to you. If you remember the TurboGrafx-16, I'm still patiently waiting for the 3DO mini. Uh, and I will continue waiting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, wow, I that's great. Dumb things. Uh, yeah. All right, let us move on and talk about the games we've been playing. But first, I do need to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. Uh, I love talking about Squarespace because there comes a time in every person's existence where they need to make a website. And too many people feel like you have to pay a whole bunch of money and get somebody to make it for you or learn HTML or any number of agonizing, costly ways that are pain. Squarespace is the solution to all of that. Squarespace is there for you to use, even if you've never made a website before. Their tools are so simple, so intuitive, so easy. You can do it yourself. Turn your cool idea into a website. Showcase your work, blog or publish content. Even selling products or services on the web, you can make a website that does all of that. All you got to do is drag and drop. It's all what you see is what you get. WYSIWYG style editing. It's simple. It's simple. In fact, they don't even charge you to make your website. You don't even give them a credit card. You can get on their site, start building your website, make it how you want, and you only pay them when you launch. They're so confident with their tools that's so easy to use that you'll make something cool and so something awesome. You start with a, a template made by world-class designers, and then you just start messing around, making it your own. It's awesome. My own website, Jeff Kanata, was built on Squarespace. I've been using Squarespace for a decade and I love it. I recommend it to all my family and friends. They have all the things you would need, uh, built-in search engine optimization, analytics that can help you grow your website in real time, free and secure hosting, and there's never anything to patch or upgrade ever. It's all done in the background for you. Plus, if you run into any problems, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support 
to get you through any problems you might have. It's just the best. They're the best. They're the best way to get a, make a website. Squarespace, make it yourself. So what I want you to do, if if you need to make a website, head over to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. You get your free trial and build your site. And when you're ready to launch, use that promo code Jeff sent me at checkout, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. Save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain and let them know that you heard about it here. Again, squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and that promo code Jeff sent me when you check out. Squarespace, make it yourself, make it great. All right, it's time to talk about the games that we have been playing, and let's start right into it, Heather, with Final Fantasy XIV. The new expansion called Shadowbringers has been out for, uh, I guess, what, a, a couple of weeks now? We're heading into week two or something like that. It's about, I, I think it's about that second week because we're about to get a new round of additional content. They usually drop it around the time of their first patch, was, which is like two weeks after after launch, so... That should be on Tuesday, and I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah, everybody is buzzing about this expansion. Really, I think, has rejuvenated what is already a pretty healthy online game. Right, and, you know, Final Fantasy XIV, for, I mean, in the case of, you know, listeners who might not know, is this is a game with a very troubled development history in the sense that it released initially in 2010, I believe, and it released to a pretty disastrous response, right? It was a little a little way too close to the structure of Final Fantasy XI, which, you know, Final Fantasy XI is a perfectly fine game, but it wasn't exactly what people were expecting from this. The original version of this was kind of slow and a little odd. And, you know, it, it became the situation where they needed to pull in, you know, new producer and everything. His name's Naoki Yoshida, uh, Yoshida excuse me, uh, to kind of course correct. And they, you know, created a different version of it called Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn, which released in 2013. And ever since then, they've been expanding with more and more expansions. And I think, you know, the thing that it's, it's hard to sell people on an MMO, not just because in the case of FF14, there's like a subscription fee and an actual cost to it, but because the storytelling and, you know, the process of, you know, being in an MMO is a certain amount of a time investment. Um, and, you know, I, I hope I don't seem like somebody who's, uh, you know, very given to statements that are hyperbolic. So people can trust me when I say that Shadowbringers itself is probably some of the best Final Fantasy content that we've had in, you know, four or five years at the very wow. least, right? You're not just you're not just saying Final Fantasy MMO content. You're no, saying Final Fantasy content. No, I, you know it's it's not one of those things where it's you know this is good for an MMO or things like that. This is good for you know storytelling. This is good for a JRPG. It's wow. and and the nice thing about this game now is that there's so many different ways and places that you can jump in and access it. You can start from the very beginning, which I'll be the first to admit is very, very slow and kind of has a clumsy on-ramp process. But once you get going, it's okay. But they also, if you are willing to spend a little bit of extra money, you can skip to numerous points in the story, whether that's just skipping the initial story that was there at launch or skipping until you get to whatever 
expansion that you want. I wouldn't recommend to anybody listening now who's like, oh, Final Fantasy XIV, I, I should just play Shadowbringers. It's like, don't jump that far ahead because you won't have the context for it. But sh- you know, playing through Shadowbringers, it's been honestly s- super surprising um, the amount of quality that Yoshida-san and his team have really brought to the franchise, uh, whether that's in music and encounter design or anything else, it's really, really blown me away. Um, wow. And it's really nice. It's, it's, it's just nice because uh, Square is not always great at managing their projects and having something that, you know, somebody can come in and fix and make work out was okay. I, you know, and it's nice to know that Yoshida is still there and, and doing, and doing stuff because, you know, Square lost Hajime Tabata, uh, who was responsible, for, you know, responsible for turning around Final Fantasy 15. So right now it feels like Yoshida and the team at, uh, you know, doing FF14 are the ones who are really driving that franchise forward in a meaningful way. I saw that you, I believe it was you who uh, authored a, an article on Kotaku about uh, ways for new players to get into Final Fantasy 14. Yeah, an entire guide uh, for, to tell people what they need to know to get into it a little brief on the story so far if they they, they just want to do that a couple bits of guidance on the classes to get started it's a surprisingly user-friendly game it's you know sometimes it's easy to accuse people who are like really close to a thing of like overstating the ease of getting into something but i actually think this I, i actually think this is a pretty easy game to get into all things considered and you'll make friends and you'll have a good time. And it's some of the best experiences I've ever had online. I've met some of the most important people in my life through this game. Wow. So as somebody who hasn't really been following the development of this game for a long time, I played final fantasy 14 probably in around 2010 or 11 and fell away from it and have not returned. But, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm curious about it with all the positive buzz and hearing you talk so so positively about it too. Is it is the thing that brings you to this game the storytelling, or is there something else about this expansion? Are systems changed? Is there a new reason that it's more fun? Tell me more about that. The storytelling has definitely been more focused. I think this was a game that spent a lot of time building up its various factions and doing a lot of world building without actually pulling the trigger on uh, any of the, you know, various guns it had mounted on the mantle. So finally seeing things come to, to light is good. It's paired with enough, you know, empathy for the characters that, you know, these are people I care about, um, whether it's the villains or anything else. It's like, I've never, I, you know, for, for as much as I love Final Fantasy VII, and I truly, truly love Final Fantasy VII, it's like, I never felt bad for Sephiroth. But I feel right. bad for, you know, even the villain of this story. But encounter design has gotten better. These are really good boss fights. The idea of knowing a role and sticking to it and really executing, whether you're a healer or you're dealing out damage and, co- you know, cooperating with other players is good. And there are some new systems in there that make things a little bit easier for people. Um, this is only for Shadowbringers, and I don't know how far back it may or may not end up expanding, you know, as time goes forward. But one thing they did is they made it so uh, there are these things that you can do, which are instanced called dungeons, which you usually have to play with at least three other real players. Now you can just play them with characters from the story. So if you're, 
you know, if you have performance anxiety about being in an online space and you just still really want to enjoy a good story, you don't, you know, there are still some instances where you have to interact with other players, but there's still plenty of times where you can treat it, at least Shadowbringers, predominantly like a single player story. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I know just being online and being in a constantly online space can be really scary for some people, but they're finding ways to make it easier um, for players to not necessarily engage with that as much if they don't want to. So basically you're, you're queuing up with bots. You're, you're able to play the game that is built for a big multiplayer experience, but you're able to play it as a single player game. Yeah. And they're given all kind of unique personalities and they do a little bit of chatter during the instances and things like that. Um, So, you know, they're all a little bit different. So I'll just give an example of something. This was, this is something I noticed even back. So I went to a media event for this game, like in March or April or something like that. There's a boss and you're fighting them. And one of the tricks that they pull is that they uh, make a giant gap in the arena and there's this very small path that you have to run across. Um, and if you fall, you don't die, but you have to get, you have to restart and you have to get to the end and do a little bit of damage to him or else he'll, you know, he'll wipe your entire team. One of the bots that I was playing as one of the characters was literally walking very carefully the entire time, almost as if they were on like a tightrope, Right. <laughs> and you would think like, oh, they're bots, like they could do this with perfect precision. But the team right. went through and they thought about like, well, what what would this character's behavior be in this particular instance? And that actually came through, even though, you know, this isn't, you know, the combat in FF14 isn't, this isn't Sekiro, right? It's not super in-depth or anything right. like that. But, you know, they put that forethought into there and it really helped. That's really cool. And, and you, you bring up the idea of having anxiety in an online space. And I, I certainly can understand that, but I, as somebody who's played a lot of, uh, MMOs in my time, sometimes you just don't want to deal with other humans right now. You know, sometimes you're just like, I, okay, I just want to grind this and I don't want to put up with the fact that somebody might be booted or even if it's not me, I don't even want to just like, let me just do my thing and get in here and, and, do my daily quest or whatever I'm going to do and get out. I, I think that's an amazing innovation, really an interesting option to allow people to just say, Hey, I don't, I don't want to be with other human beings right now. I just want to do this and do it. Yeah. And I know personally, you know, I've been playing a lot of the game, but my coworker, Mike Fahey over at Kotaku is the one who's going to be doing our final review of it and everything like that. He's been doing kind of um, progressive updates as he's been making his way through this. But, you know, he has two kids. He has uh, a couple of other personal circumstances that sometimes make gaming a little bit more difficult for him. And having this option means that he can sit down and, and, do those dungeons or do those instances kind of on his own terms, which I think is really, really gratifying. That's cool. So this is Final Fantasy XIV. Shadowbringers is the new expansion. And of course, we'll refer people to your uh, awesome article on Kotaku. But do you have a just a quick uh, suggestion if somebody is going to start up uh, into this game, what, what class maybe they should try or any <laughs> quick tips? It depends. I love healing. So uh, you can play as a conjurer and you can heal people and keep them alive. That sounds stressful, but really it's not too bad. Here, Here's my genuine offer. Um, my Twitter handle is at transgamerthink. I, my DMs are not open, but I will check my messages. And if you have questions, I will answer them for you. That's amazing. That's really cool. And I can attest to the fact that Heather checks her messages because I was like, Hey, do you want to come on the show? And she's like, yes. So it works people. It works. 
Uh, all right. Uh, what else? Anything else on your playlist? Or have you been putting all your time into Final Fantasy XIV? Uh, it's been a lot of Final Fantasy XIV, slowly making my way through Bloodstained, which, you know, my brief assessment of Bloodstained is it's not brilliant, but it is exactly what it set out to be. And I'm okay with that. Like, it's yeah. not it's not taking even though, you know, Koji Igarashi is on that project and 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 really you can feel his presence in that game. We've already had plenty of games of that genre, of that sort of Metroidvania genre that have done interesting things, specifically things like Dandara, which was one where you could only move if you were jumping from ceiling to ceiling. That's a Brazilian, a Brazilian game. That, wow. that was a really impressive and unique take on Metroidvania. But sometimes you just, sometimes when you order a slice of pizza, you just want a slice of pizza. And (laughs) sometimes when you want a Metroidvania, even though that's a weird term, you just want a Metroidvania and bloodstains. It's been, been good for that for me. Christian, have you put any more time into bloodstained or uh, Christian's playing on switch? What are you, what are you playing on primarily Heather? Uh, PC. Yeah. Yeah. I've put more time in it. I like it. I don't, it, it has, you know, it, will not be on my top five games of the year, unfortunately. That sounds, but sounds about right, yeah. But I agree with Heather. It's it's extremely well made, and it's one of these stories, <clears throat> excuse me, of like a Kickstarter game that, while it came out later, delivered on its promise, right? It was like, this. we're going to make this, and by golly, they did. And yeah, like Heather said, it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but the gear, um, seeing your equipment on your character, the map, um, the layout, it's not overly complicated, which I think is good. I think sometimes Metroidvanias try to like out trick themselves and yeah i i pizza's great i just want <laughs> i yeah, just want pizza right. yeah right i get it sometimes you want yoki's or uh, yoku's island express and you're like what can they do and they made a pinball with them <laughs> and other times you're just like no give me the give me the give me the pizza yeah uh, cool uh, anything else for you heather not off the top of my head uh except maybe that i've been meeting to play more outer wilds and i just mm. haven't gotten to it and that's a really gorgeous game it's probably one of the most interesting and innovative games of this entire year yeah i agree it's pretty pretty special and very different and really interesting um we were talking about it a little last week um yeah it's a it's a fascinating game i i i when i play it i want it to be just a little bit more but yeah uh, but I, to- I mean, it's a very indie spirit game that has uh, grand ambitions and I think it pushes up against the upper limit of what they're able to do, but man, re- what a great idea and w- such a cool, uh, expression of the, of the art, you know, like, it's like, Hey, let's take this thing, this roguelike idea, but do it instead of it being this sort of punishing test of skill or, um, test of endurance it's it's a, a key to unlock exploration which is such an interesting idea yeah and you know what i just remembered one more game that i need to just gush yes. about for two seconds um judgment judgment mm. just very briefly i i uh, like i don't think ryo gakoto Gotoku Studios can do like anything wrong. I love Toshihiro Nagoshi. Uh, those games are fantastic. If you like Yakuza, this is essentially that again. Um, but it is charming. They have crafted every time they make games uh, consistently some of the best cityscapes that you'll ever find in, in games. And I am so super excited to get back to that once I am not completely glued to Final Fantasy. 
<laughs> Very cool. All right, Christian, you've been playing a lot of Switch stuff. Where would you like to start? Well, I'll start with Super Mario Maker 2 just briefly to say that I designed my first and maybe only level. So if you would like to play it, the it, my the level code is T as in Tom, J, C as in cat, P, Peter, 1, R, 3, 8, G as in good. Uh, so that's my Mario Maker 2 level. I can't promise that I'll make more. I had fun making it. Um, but I don't know how much more time I'll spend making, but I've spent a lot more time playing, but I don't need to you, spend time talking about it. Can you give us a little, uh, a little hot take on your, your level? What was the inspiration of your level? What you're trying to accomplish with it? What is it? So it's, it's a time trial level. It's fast. It's, uh, not difficult. Um, but there's like one misdirect in it perhaps that I think is, is fun and interesting, um, mostly I just wanted to experiment with it. My nephew made a level that I thought was really fun. And I promised a friend that when he bought the game, I would make at least one level. So it is a promise kept. And I wanted to better understand. I'd played around in the mode, but not like finished a level. I wanted to better understand, you know, what goes into it. And I think you better, I, I should say, I better appreciate the amazing levels of other people that I play having gone through the process myself. So cool. that's kind of the reason. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, games to talk about. Um, friend of the show, the um, director of the Warframe Cinematic, which I have now watched. I watched right after the show last when we talked about it. My golly. Good stuff, Mr. Right? Trachtenberg. Uh, will you direct my life? Because that was incredible. It was real good. Real, I don't real think good. you want your life to be quite so violent. but yeah. I don't know. They won. They, they came out of every scrape, so I'm okay with it. I'm okay. Uh, he had suggested and, and kept suggesting, thank you, Dan, uh, Katana Zero as kind of being right up my alley. And so I took the plunge. I, I downloaded it, and he, Dan was right. <laughs> Katana Zero is right up my alley, and I will talk about it here in a second. But while I was in the eShop, um, as one is – wants to do at least i am uh the messenger is on sale because the new dlc came out and people have been telling me for years or whatever it's been to play the messenger and that it'd be right up my alley all of you you are right isn't that on game pass now couldn't you've just had it on game pass for frizzle i don't know i have it on switch don't tell me it's on game pass it probably I is i think it's free on game pass but i like it on my switch so okay. it works there anyway uh i'm the person that's like ooh, free dlc that's five more hours longer time to buy the game like I haven't played any of it, but now I'm like, now I'll play it now that it's longer. Um, it's on sale on Switch. Maybe it's on Game Pass check on Switch. It's on sale through July 18th uh, in the US, I think. Um, so Katana Zero, I will start there. It is like um, a 2D hotline Miami um, where in like the premise, if you don't know anything hotline about it. Miami 2D? But top down, not ice. It's not top down, so it's yes, correct. But from the side, uh, Hotline Miami, Miami sliced off the roof, and you look in. Katana Zero slices off a wall, and you look in. So yes, um, it is. You are a ninja, and I won't talk about like the story, but you are assigned with going into ta- you know going into rooms and killing a bunch of people, right? Doing this thing and making it out. One hit kills you. Um, but it, you respawn lickety split right back to the beginning of kind of the grid you're on and you keep working through it. And the conceit is that your character has like these precognition abilities. So what you're actually doing is you show up and you're like, let me plan my route. And each time you die, it's like, oh, that wouldn't work. Try again. 
And so you're, you're never doing it. You're just kind of planning it in your head. And then when you go in and do, do it after you completed, it, it was like, yeah, did it. And then you can like watch yourself do it. So it's kind of like a neat, you know, idea for, for why you're running these levels over and over and over again. Um, you have a, uh, Max Payne asks slow down and a roll and, um, your katana, your, your blade that you're slicing with. And between those two things, the level itself, you have a certain amount of time to get through the level. So you can't spend too much time dawdling. It kind of forces you into encounters. And But because if you mess up, you get to start again real quick. It kind of has this really nice replayability loop of like action and puzzle. And it has like the neon-soaked, aesthetic, beautiful, beautiful pixel art and a really incredible soundtrack that I know is on Apple Music. I'm not sure if it's on, excuse me, other streaming services as well, but really cool kind of fitting that aesthetic of like a neon soaked um, synth uh, soundtrack that really highlights the game. And as you play through it and I'm maybe a third or so through the game, having just started it last night, um, I've played a decent amount. I really, really enjoy it. And so Mr. Trachtenberg, you are correct. It's a hundred percent up my alley. Um, It's a very good game. Thank you for pestering me about it (laughs) it's Um, a very good game i like it a lot too yeah it's very good uh the messenger is like the nes ninja gaiden picture that and you have a really good idea of what the messenger is i'm maybe two hours two and a half hours into that um and i i love it with my whole heart it's fantastic you have a little upgrade tree where very early on you get the ability to climb up walls um throw i don't know if they're uh shurikens or, or what they are but throwing stars um and it 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 feels like what shovel knight did to kind of mega manny-esque that era games where it's like it oh it looks like the games that were out back then but shovel knight couldn't have run on an s that's what the messenger is like and i'm not far i've heard there's uh other things that happen later in the game that push it even further but it's like oh i'm playing ninja gaiden it looks like that well it can't it's not really (laughs) like it couldn't really have run this game um but the the levels are really intricate and really cool uh the platforming is really great in terms of you know navigating through and then the the moves you have where one is like picture like the candelabra in castlevania where you whip and you get items from it they have things like that in the messenger and when you hit them you'll get items but also you can then air jump off of that so where i am it's not maybe you can unlock full air jump later but here i can't air jump off of anything but i can hit items to get a you know an extra boost to jump up somewhere and i have an unlock where i can hit enemy projectiles and jump off of those as well so it kind of creates some really fun action platforming throughout the levels and to speak to the slice of pizza, this is just me personally, but both Katana Zero and The Messenger instantly spoke to me, whereas Bloodstained was like, I like this. Like, I'm going to finish Katana Zero and The Messenger before I go back to Bloodstained. That's, you know, how immediate they're put into my my veins. That's good. High praise. Uh, last, also, yeah. Oh, yeah. Last thing. Dr. Mario World on iOS. Um, I, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first 20 levels are tutorial, and you can kind of play through them all you want. After that, you unlock multiplayer, which I think is pretty chill, but I, I'm awful at it. So, so it's not chill for me. 
Um, and then after that, after those first 20 levels, you get locked in. Um, I'm sure there are worse, um, but it feels like pretty heavy handed what you picture mobile monetization to be, in my opinion. Um, and then the thing that kind of grates my cheese the wrong way is I could have the numbers wrong, but I don't think so. I wrote this down. So it's 30 gems to get an unlimited 60 minutes of play. Otherwise, you have like stamina. So 30 gems to get an unlimited 60-minute session. But gems, you can only buy in, in, in amounts of 20, 50, 100, 200, or something like that. So you can't buy the amount of gems that you... I, I hate that. It's like what Xbox Live used to do, where it's like a game was 480 points, but you could buy 500 points. Right. So it was like that with the other, like, you're out of stamina, you didn't, or you failed a level. Do you want to pay... I don't know what it works out to be like you got this in-game currency. You can try it again, or you can spend a dollar to get the currency to do the thing. Like it felt like the game was aggressively telling me not to play it. And I know some people really get into, you know, games that do monetize pretty aggressively. But for me personally, when a game, well, I shouldn't say a game, the way Dr. Mario world tried to monetize me instead of motivating me to spend, it motivated me to try a different, free game because yeah. it's such a big ocean um so i bounced off it pretty hard but i'm curious if either of you um have given it a shot or not i played some in a preview event and even just in the preview my my sentiment was basically the same where i was like i can see marks of something interesting here where they're taking dr mario and one of the big things about this is that you actually only have a limited amount of pills to solve any puzzle as opposed to normal dr mario where you can kind of just go 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 yeah and i think i think it'd be cool to craft certain stages that really challenge you to think really creatively and to to learn those puzzles but it it really does feel um you know and i'm fairly lenient when it comes to mobile stuff even though like loot boxes are terrible gotcha is like completely designed to mess with us but also like hell yes part of my language i play dragalia lost um <laughs> but this no i think i'm with you here when it kind of feels like a little bit of a bridge too far it's it's weird because i almost feel like i hold nintendo to an unfair standard because i think if this were some other game i'd be like oh cool but instead i'm just like not like this, Dr. Mario. Like it's, it's almost like we were talking about with uh, Cuphead and Netflix where it's like, there's expectations. There's a thing like this is a brand that I've been playing for 20 years and it feels like they, they went and did it wrong. Um, but like you said, Mario got his PhD, man. It all went down There is interesting stuff. The pills now float up. They, once you send them in, they start floating and you can kind of keep manipulating them as they float. So there are some really interesting mechanic changes i think that could be a really cool evolution to the game but I, I i really i enjoyed the first 20 levels or whatever it was they went by quick and then after that it uh it really aggressively pushed me away unfortunately hmm. well that's dr mario world on mobile and uh a thumbs down from everybody here i have not even given it a shot i uh i do not need that in my life so didn't even didn't even download it um what I've been playing is almost exclusively VR, so we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but we did get a listener-submitted review. If you feel like there's something that we didn't – we overlooked or we didn't talk about enough or a game we just not even on our radar at all, I encourage you, send us your reviews. You can send them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. 
This one comes from Brad, who says, uh, just wanted to write in to let you know that I've been playing Hades, the early access roguelite from Supergiant, the creators of Pyre, Bastion, and Transistor. This game has blown me away. You play the game as Zagreus, son of Hades, and you're trying to escape from the underworld, something that has never been done before. During your escape attempts, the gods of Olympus are trying to help you by giving you upgrades to your various attacks and abilities. When you die, you end up back at home in the Palace of Hades, and he is, of course, taunting you every time. This story conceit fits the run-based nature of the game perfectly, better than any roguelike I've ever played. The combat is fast-paced action in an isometric, top-down style similar to Bastion. The controls are super tight, and it's a ton of fun to play. There's so much variation in the combat from run to run due to the various upgrades from the Gods of Olympus that it never gets stale. The roguelite progression between runs is also very well done, so you never feel bad for failing on a run. There's always an upgrade to help you do better next time. Last but not least, the art style and writing are top-notch and exactly what you would expect from Supergiant. You can currently play the game on the Epic Game Store while it's in early access, but I believe there are plans for it coming to console for a full release. Cool, Brad. I have not tried Hades yet. I'm waiting for that full release, but my goodness, I'm a fan of Supergiant and eagerly anticipate. Even even their misses, from my perspective, are still fascinating. I thought Pyre was so interesting, but um, it didn't click with me. But Bastion is is on my somewhere on my favorite games of all time list somewhere um, because it, it's an, it's an amazing game. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to Hades. I just haven't tried the early access yet. So good to hear that it is fun. And you're enjoying it. It's really good. It's actually one of my favorite games of the year so far. Really? Well, maybe I got to get into the early access then. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, that's cool. Um, Messenger is on Game Pass, at least on PC. I was doing some Googling because I had yeah, I thought read so. this in advance. So if you don't need it on your Switch for portability, play it. Check it out. You already have it. It's, you know, air quote free. <laughs> Could have had it for free, bro. Could have had it for basically free to yourself. All right. Uh, let us talk a little VR. Let me talk a little VR. All right, I've been playing a lot of VR this week, and I know I'm the only one, really, but I still want to tell you guys about the games I've been playing. Uh, There is a new Oculus exclusive Oculus Studios game that came out that I've been eagerly anticipating. It's called Defector, and I played it this week. Uh, This is um, from Twisted Pixel, the studio that made a game that I think... I don't know what many people talk about it, but man, back when it came out, I loved it and couldn't stop playing it called Splosion Man. Do you guys remember Splosion Man? Yeah, that was great. So fun. And then I think Ms. Splosion Man came out was a sequel. Um, and uh, man, a really cool studio that has done some interesting things. Nothing. Well, that's not true. They also made um, Wilson's Heart, which was their, I think their first venture into VR, which was an interesting storytelling game. Defector is basically a James Bond game. It is uh, has you taking the role of a James Bond-esque super spy with all of the things that come with it. It's cool gadgets, crazy action set pieces, fun gunplay. This is a first-person game uh, that I played on my Rift with um, the touch controllers. And it, it basically, it's not a long game. It's, it's, I think five or six different missions and all of them are fairly short. So I I think I've 
got through it in about four hours, maybe a little more. Um, so it's not a super long game. It's also 20 bucks. Uh, so it's not a full priced game. And that is really, I think, a, a, just a lovely place for games to be right now where I can enjoy it in just a couple or three sittings and, and feel like I got my money's worth. Anyway, I really dug this game. It, it's hard not to compare it to Blood and Truth because they're doing very similar things. These are both storytelling games where you start out and you sit in a room and somebody's like, tell us what happened on the mission. And you're like, well, and you go back and play through the mission. So the structure of them is very similar. Um, If blood and truth is, you know, is the lock stock and two smoking barrels or whatever, this is, you know, this is Skyfall, um, the James Bond. And so it's a little more, uh, you know, upscale as far as what you're doing. You're in, you know, you're in tuxedos and you're leaping out of airplanes and you're wearing, uh, fancy contact lenses that give you data on people and you find cool gadgets and stuff like that. Uh, and the, I think visually it's very, very impressive. Um, it looks great on the rift in high settings, uh, and it, it delivers these really cool, set pieces. And I think the special thing that it does, or at least the thing it thinks is special is that it gives you in each mission mission, it gives you a very clear branch point where you can make a big decision on how that mission is going to play out, which is cool. And it basically means playing the game over again is worthwhile because you have these big branching points that you, you're literally doing a completely different action set piece based on the decision that you make. That's cool. It's cool. Uh, it's also nice that they allow you in the menu once you've done a level to play like it's like a there's like a quick action mode or quick play mode or something like that, and they let you just jump to those decision points without having to play through all the preamble. So you can just do the other decision if you want to, which is nice, and see all that work. But and that's cool. But I also feel like yeah, you did twice the work for what doesn't feel like twice the amount of fun because in the context, I I only see this much. But you do some really awesome stuff in this game. And it's all that giant over the top, you know, craziness. Uh, it, it just, it doesn't hold up in comparison to Blood and Truth because I think Blood and Truth tells a story that's much better and more interesting and has characters that I'm interested in and um, has more connective tissue, really. Um, this is just sort of disparate missions that I guess add up to something, but it doesn't really feel that way because you're not, you don't, there's, you're not making all of the missions have different people in them in different places. And it doesn't really feel like one continuous story. Is it uh, on quest? No, it is not. <laughs> boo, it, boo, it is not. all hail the queen of slime. It, may be, it may be coming. I, I would imagine that Oculus is working hard to get there, So there are these games that are in the pipeline, right? That ha- happened before prequest. <laughs> prequest and they still haven't come out right so this the big three are defector uh azara's wrath and um storm land uh which are all coming in the next few months and none of them are uh going to support quest they're all big giant oculus studios investments that are these you know tentpole games and they were all designed with you know pushing the limits of what rift can do before quest was released so no short answer no long answer i can't imagine they're not going to try to come up with some version that'll be on quest defector unchained or something maybe maybe 
Um, either way, I, I really have enjoyed it on Rift because it does look really good and it's you're doing crazy, insane things. You know, the, the first I won't spoil any of the later missions, but the first mission, you literally leap out of a plane into another plane. Uh, and oh, that's cool. It's it feels amazing in VR. It's really crazy. Uh, and then you like stand on the uh, open door of an air of an airplane holding a machine gun, shooting other planes out of the sky. I mean, it's like it it goes to eleven every time. Um, but it 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 does feel like a short kind of highlight reel of experiences. But it's again twenty bucks, so it's that twenty dollar experience. I would highly recommend it. If you have uh, a Rift, again, it's exclusive to Rift. So I don't know if five users will figure out a way to, you know, revive it. But um, right now I, I really like Defector and I would, I would highly recommend it. I, it also is a game that makes me wish that Blood and Truth was available on other headsets than PlayStation VR. Because you go, oh yeah, that this is how so it's all good. supposed to feel. It is very good. It it's is very, so very good. good but Man, if if I had the touch controllers in that game, and it, oh yeah, PSVR so inputs better. are are poo. Garbage. They're garbage. <laughs> They're retrofit to old tech, and it's unfortunate. All right, so some more VR that I have played: Vader Immortal, which was a Quest launch title, is, is now on Rift, and so I downloaded it on Rift and played Free? it. Just okay, cross uh, was it a cross buyer? I, I think don't it believe is. it. Is it? No, I, I was. I mean, it was free to me, but I had a you know. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Copy. Okay. So, um, I'm not sure if it's crossed by it. Maybe. Either way, I did buy it on Quest, and then I got a review copy on Rift. So, uh, um, it, it's amazing how different it looks, dude. It looks good on Quest, as you can attest, right? Yeah, I, I enjoy. I mean, it's the game. It's the go-to. Like Beat Saber is the game to have fun, but yeah. Vader Immortal is the game I put on people to give them that sense of presence, where it's right. like you're in a place. Look how awesome this is! But you get you remember in the beginning when you're on the ship and you yeah. look around and you look down at your controls and they're sort of the textures are sort of flat. Yeah, you know it was mean? you know it was it was the you know between episodes we had junky ships. We weren't in a Naboo <laughs> cruiser. Well. <laughs> On Rift, the textures ain't flat, bro. <laughs> they look really good, and the lighting looks way better. And yeah, it, it, I was shocked at how much better it looks on Rift. I was like, "Wow, this is how this game is supposed to look." Oh man, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. I mean, I think Quest is such an awesome product, and I think untethered and self-contained like that is so useful and such a great way into VR. But man, the games can look so good, so good. Uh, did you find? And I don't mean this to be like Quest versus Rift because whatever. But I am curious. Did you find yourself going back into your old style of play of feet plants? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. I mean, I've been doing that for so long that it was an easy pair of shoes to put on. But um, yeah, I mean, that's how I play all Rift games is because I'm tethered to the computer yeah. and I don't want to twist around and yank things out and knock stuff over in my office and et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't so, have a quest Vader immortal, I mean, if you just have a rift, it's, it's an even easier recommend than it was last time we talked about it. It seems oh, like. it's 10 bucks. It, I mean, it, again, it's just a, a short episode of what is supposedly going to be multiple episodes of content, but man, great storytelling within the first 
10 minutes, you come face to face with Darth Vader and that a moment alone is worth 10 bucks to be feel like Darth Vader just walked up to you and looked you in the eye and he's the same size as you. And I mean, it's incredible. Um, so yes. And, and then there's all kinds of other cool stuff. It's laser, uh, 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 lightsaber stuff. It's great. It's great. But yes, I just was struck as, as to have only having only seen it on quest, how much better it looked on Rift. And I can only imagine with these <laughs> other headsets coming out. Um, okay. One more game and then I'll stop talking about VR. This is a game that evidently has been around for a while. I'd never heard of it. It's called Fuggle or Fugle. I'm not really sure how it's pronounced. F U G L. Heather, have you heard of this game before? No, I was afraid you were going to ask me that because I was going to be like that. I have no clue. I have no, I have no idea about this one. Evidently, it's been out on Steam for a long, long time uh, as just a 2D game. I only found it because it was on the uh, Rift storefront or the Oculus storefront. I hope this game comes to Quest. I, I don't think it's available on Quest yet, but it, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be um, because it's not exactly you know, pushing polygons. Well, it kind of is. It's a voxel game. So if you know about voxel uh, as a technology, it's a bunch of little squares that are, that have their own physics really, and are able to, you, you cobble them together and you create really detailed things because the squares are really tiny. So uh, there's a, a bunch of voxel games out there that you can find, but all of them have a very distinct look that they look like they're made out of, I don't know, little bits of things. And then invariably those bits of things blow apart in these games because they can, because they're made of voxels. And uh, there's that, um, the twin stick shooter that I played from, what was it called? doesn't matter. Anyway, this is a voxel game. So it has that unique style, but in VR it's wild. And even calling this a game is a, I guess maybe overstating it because it's more of an experience. It's, it's very Zen. Like this is sort of more of like a flower or um, journey, I guess where you play as this bird and you're flying through these environments. You start in this very tropical environment that is utterly stunning voxel created, but with beautiful water below you. And then these islands that have, trees sprouting off of them and in rock formations and flowers and all kinds of stuff, all made out of these little squares, these colorful little squares. So the draw distance in this game is insane. And the farther away stuff is the better it looks because the voxels far away look more like, uh, uh, you know, pixel art. Um, and up close, you really see the distinction of the little individual pieces, but you play as a bird and there are other birds on the island. And if you fly up next to another bird, you morph into that bird. And then, so you, you know, you start as like a, let's say a seagull and then you fly up to this like rainbow colored bird and then you morph into that bird. And then you can morph into a butterfly at one point. Then you're flapping a lot faster. You don't have to flap. You're just, you're soaring around this, this world and you can accelerate and change your direction. But you're, that's really all you're doing is experiencing it. And then you fly up next to a monkey and you can turn into a monkey and there's all kinds of other animals. And then there's all these different biomes, different environments that you can eventually uncover and find. And it's all about going through these levels and finding things and changing into other animals or creatures and experiencing these other beautiful places. And you can go under the water and turn into fish. And 
it's extraordinary in VR because it's serene and gorgeous and gives you this sense of soaring. Um, I really, really enjoyed this game. I mean, again, game is maybe the wrong term, but this experience, uh, Fuggle, F-U-G-L or Fugle. And again, it's available as a 2D game. I don't, I don't know if I would feel as strongly about it in 2D because, you know, being inside that experience is so effective, but, um, Maybe anybody might want to check it out, even in 2D. Fuggle. Fugle. All right. That's my VR experience this week. Uh, and we will check in on all that stuff. There's a lot of big VR games coming out, as I mentioned, over the next few months. But that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Heather Alexandra, thank you so much for being here. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. Every time I'm here, it's just fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I, I love having you as a guest. You're always so insightful. Uh, tell people where they can read your work and keep up with you online. You can find pretty much everything I do at Kotaku.com. We are a video game website about video games. If you're looking for me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at, at @transgamerthink, And that's it. Very, very cool. Christian Spicer, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, uh, it's my wife's birthday and it's my anniversary, wow. so it's gonna wow. be that. Um, I planned them close together so you I got can married never on forget. your wife's birthday. Wow, no, they're just That's really close, so I classic forget. cheapskate move, baby. <laughs> if I forget one, I remember the other. Hey, I'm actually really good about uh remembering that stuff. Um, so you know, whatever. Uh, play my Mario Maker level, give me feedback. That's not what I'm doing this week. That's what I want you to do. Should I make more? Play my level, tell me if you liked it. Uh, otherwise, try my product. Try my product. <laughs> try my product. I got that B-roll. Um, <laughs> at Spicer is my Twitter, and I stream this show Sundays, usually at seven fifteen p.m. Pacific. Twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. Speaking of try my product, uh, if you have not yet checked out the Dungeon Run, my live play D and D game, please. Do please try my product. Uh, I am so proud of this thing. I honestly, I think it's the best work I've ever done in my career. And I, I am not one to be, you know, it may sound immodest and I'm not one to, to boast, uh, but I, I really do think it's the best work I've ever done. And uh, it, it is very special. I know the episodes are quite long, but I promise you uh, there are wonderful payoffs. The players are extraordinary. And the storytelling that we're doing is amazing. I mean, uh, last episode, there were tears in the room uh, at the end. It is, it's a beautiful thing and I'm really super proud of it. So I hope you check it out. The Dungeon Run, you can find it on YouTube or as an audio podcast, wherever you get audio podcasts. But the the really coolest way to watch it is on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific when we stream it live because we actually allow viewers, excuse me, we allow viewers to uh, influence the story. So I uh, hope you check it out. The Dungeon Run. Uh, you can also listen to me talking about movies and TV shows over at the Slash Filmcast, which you can find at slashfilmcast.com. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And if you want to write into this show for any reason, it's dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We appreciate getting uh, any of your messages, uh, comments, questions, suggestions, what have you at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. 
Heather, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. I worry that it might be uh, similar to what I think Christian might be suggesting, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, which is to say, uh, go and cook something. And if you have trouble uh, cooking something, I'm going to suggest a, a really good cook that can give you some hints. They have their own YouTube channel and book and everything else. It's a fellow by the name of J. Kenji Lopez-Alt. Um, if you look him up on YouTube, he has a, a, a YouTube channel that he doesn't use very often, but he has a lot of things on there that'll help you out. It'll teach you how to mince a shallot, teach you how to break down a chicken, teach you how to do three ingredients, stovetop macaroni and cheese. So cooking doesn't have to be complicated. If you have three ingredients and you have a pot, you can make some of the best gosh darn mac and cheese of your life. And also, if you look up some of his stuff, he's one of those folks who... Um, put out a really good uh, recipe for an alternative of going to like Chick-fil-A. If you're somebody who doesn't really want to, you know, support Chick-fil-A or anything else anymore, you can still have good things in your life. You can still learn a valuable skill, enjoy decent food. Um, I fell off cooking for a little while. Um, and, and I, I've been meaning to get back into it, especially uh, for for some health re- reasons, and but also just relaxation. It's just yeah. it's good to make something. It's good you'll have twenty to thirty minutes where all you need to worry about is just making something of your own, and there's something incredibly gratifying in that. So if you're looking for somebody who has good instructional videos and good recipes, J. Kenji Lopez Alt, fantastic chef, really worth looking into. J. Kenji Lopez Alt. Is that what you said? Yes. So J. Kenji, K-E-N-J-I, Lopez Alt, like it sounds. I am going to be looking up specifically the Chick-fil-A recipe because that sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. That's great. Uh, And I, uh, man, I totally second that. I I came to it very late in my life, uh, the uh, appreciation of cooking but man, I, I really do enjoy it now. It is, it is a lovely endeavor. It is a lovely thing to make some food and then have people enjoy that food. It's an amazing thing. All right, Christian Spicer, what do you got? I mean, after that beautiful, uh, you know, conversation, mine is way less inspired. Thanks a lot, Heather. No, Um, I think yours is going to be great too. (laughs) I think it was a couple of weeks ago when like it started first getting hot in LA and now it's hot again. I just recommended watermelon, which is like the silliest parting gift, but one I stand by uh, wholeheartedly. This is of that same vein. Uh, Pico de gallo. I love, or salsa fresca, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I love pico. It's just tomato, onion, uh, cilantro, lime juice. That's all you need. Chop, 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 chop. Blop, let it sit for a little bit. You'll chop some, and blop. Yeah, chop and blop. A little, some chips, maybe some some lime seasoned uh, tortilla chips. Uh, yum, 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 yum. I love pico. I love it so so much, and it's so incredibly easy to make. Confession: When I was in college, I think I was at a friend's house. We were like watching, I don't know, some sporting event. We were like, let's make. We should get guacamole, and we were like, yeah. And we went to the store, and we were like, what's in it? <laughs> 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 and we made like various phone calls. Be like, okay, what do we need to make guacamole? Various phone calls. <laughs> it was just like guac hotline. Let's call it. It was like an avocado. What else? I mean, nothing really. What? What do you need? Uh, anyway, guacamole easy to make. Pico de gallo very easy to make and very delicious. Uh, well, I try ask a yellow you, onion. What? Uh, I gotta ask you, like, what pico de gallo or guac? What, what's your, what's the in the summer pico? Really? 
Yeah. Just walk all day, every day, as far as I'm concerned. Heather, you want to be the tiebreaker? I was going to say Pico de Gallo. Really? Overwalk? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I had a roommate in college who used to put, like, he would cook for us and he would put, like, guac and avocados in everything. So, you know what? I'm sick of it. <laughs> and so, and so, yeah, a little bit of Pico de Gallo. I kid, I, I will, I, there's not enough avocados in any, I love avocados. Do you know, Ooh, I'm going to change my, I'm changing my parting <laughs> gift. I'm changing my parting gift. Uh, I may have already said this one some other time, but like, let's do a listener one first. Uh, this one comes from Eric Reidelbach. Uh, Eric writes, long time listener, first time emailer. Wanted to send a quick parting gift this week that I thought you Christian and your audience might enjoy. Several months ago, both of you opened my eyes to the wonder of the midnight. Yes. <laughs> Since then, I've become a huge fan of their music, and it's rekindled my love for all things 80s. This week, I discovered a similar band that I enjoy just as much, dare I say more, <gasps> called Le Brock. Maybe it's the newest season of Strangest, uh, Strange Th- Stranger Things, but this band has me ready to get my synth rock on. Their song, Dangerous Dreams, is the song I currently have stuck on repeat, and I think it's worth checking out. Thanks for all that you two do for our community on a weekly basis. I wish you both the best. Thanks, Eric. That is high praise indeed. The Midnight, by the way, is now my two and a half year old son's favorite band, which he calls The Midnight. Um, and he constantly, he knows all their songs. He knows the lyrics to their songs. Uh, and he constantly forces us to play The Midnight, uh, Vampires and Sunset and all The Midnights. Um, so uh, this high praise, if it's if it's as good as or better than The Midnight, uh, I'm all all into it. It's LeBrock and their song Dangerous Dreams. If you want to have your parting gift read on the show, send it to us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We appreciate getting those. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on this uh, food bandwagon thing. I'm going to change my parting gift on the fly. I don't think I've ever said this on the show before. Maybe I have. Do you know what my favorite ice cream flavor is, folks? Guacamole. It is actually what? avocado avocado <laughs> ice cream. It is wow. the best the best ice cream in the world. Just to prove how much I love avocado and I'll put it on anything. Avocado ice cream is the best ice cream flavor I have ever had. And I, friends, am an ice cream nut. So believe Where me when I say it? Well, there's a place called uh, Granados in the East Bay. It's actually a chain that has avocado ice cream, but there's also lots of avocado ice cream recipes online. So if you have an ice cream maker, huh. you can yeah, make it I, don't, I was going to say, I don't know if I can get away, like walking into Brooklyn, going into a place and be like, can I have some avocado ice cream? <laughs> Not if you like, say it like yeah, that, Heather, you gotta <laughs> confidence, plant those feet, oh, yeah, avocado yeah, yeah. ice cream, you know? <laughs> I'm telling you, uh, it, it kind of didn't sound good to me the first time I tried it. It is, <laughs> I get, Whenever I go up and visit my family in the East Bay, I get pints of it because I can't get it anywhere else. And you have to make it yourself. But if you have an ice cream maker, search online for avocado ice cream. This may sound gross to you, but there's actually chunks of avocado in it. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, It is by far, by far my favorite ice cream. And it might be my favorite dessert, period is just avocado ice cream. It is that delicious. Do you dip like cinnamon tortilla chips in it? (laughs) No, no, you just (laughs) eat it like ice cream. It's incredible. So I highly recommend if anybody listening has not tried avocado ice cream, if you find yourself in a place that has it, give it a shot. If you find yourself uh, with an ice cream maker, give it a, give it a Google and maybe give it a shot. Heather's going to kick, 
get kicked out of Brooklyn now. I hope you're happy, Jeff. Well, this is your you know fault. what? It'll be worth it. It'll be deliciously worth <laughs> it. I'm just saying. Uh, all right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Heather Alexandra and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in our chat room for hanging out with us in real time. We appreciate you doing that, making the show better. Uh, thank you to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for the cool bumpers. And thank you to each and every one of you who download the show and listen. We appreciate you. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.